Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 108 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about the mythical paperless office and whether it was any closer to reality than than it has been before. In that episode, we mentioned how much we associate the whole idea of paperless office with Ross Kodner. Unfortunately, just a couple of days after we recorded that episode, we learned that Ross, who's truly one of the pioneers of legal technology, had passed away suddenly at, at far too young an age. We both had a chance to work and speak with Ross, and, and we'll miss him. And we certainly appreciate all he did, especially for popularizing the whole category of legal technologist. In this episode, we want to take a look at another nearly mythical technology goal, the virtual digital personal assistant, and whether that is any closer to reality. Tom, what's on the agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to talk about the virtual digital personal assistant and whether it's a, a myth or actually something that can be accomplished using today's technology. In our second segment, we'll focus on recent news that BlackBerry's looking to sell its company. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use starting the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that is the virtual personal digital assistant. We're not talking about real people here. We're talking about digital assistants. Back in 2011, I think it was, Apple rolled out Siri. It's been around for for two years now, I think it, it offered some, I think, some interesting potential for being able to, for you talk to your phone and and instantly get some information. Uh, recently, in the past, over the past couple of months, Google has kind of, I think, upped the game by introducing what uh, what I consider to be truly amazing Google Now, uh, which brings us closer, I think, to the idea of the personal digital assistant. I really like these tools, but from our conversations, it seems like you're not so sure, Dennis. Uh, are, are you really going to play the role of Luddite in this episode? Well, I, I sort of uh, feel like I'm playing that role, but it's sort of I feel more I'm playing the role of, of late adopter on, on this one. And, and in part because with your move to the, the Android uh, phone recently, you, you can uh, experiment with Google now. I'm, I'm still... Uh, kind of hanging on in my plan is to get uh, and have not updated my iPhone. I'm sort of hoping I'll get to the iPhone 5S in September, assuming it's released then. So I haven't really played with, with Siri and I'm interested uh, in it. And I think I really want to just play the role of what can I, what can I learn from, from you, Tom? Um, so that's sort of where I am. So I just think of me as in some way part of, part of the audience on, on and want to learn from from your experience but i think really we are talking about those those two different uh tools that are out there that are really the two options that's that's the siri and the apple world and 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 google now well and and relying on me to carry this section of the podcast there's no pressure there i am i you know i've had experience with both I, to a certain extent, like both. I think that I like the Google product more. Um, 
and I think I have an idea about why they're, I think I have an idea about why you might be a late adopter and why they might not be as popular and, and why the idea of the virtual personal assistant is closer, but not yet quite there. Uh, you know, well, let's start, start talking about Siri because Siri has been around the longest. I have really always viewed Siri as more of a novelty than a useful tool because uh, Siri would talk back to you with uh, with humorous banter. And I, I found that it was more interesting to ask those types of questions to Siri than to really do the the useful, productive things. I, I got more laughs out of it than than useful information when I uh, was trying to use it. But, you know, if, if you if you really think about it and if you go and, and learn what Siri can accomplish, uh, I mean, you can do a lot of useful things. You can have Siri set calendar items for you. You can have it send, have Siri send text messages. Um, she will post to your social media accounts, your Facebook and your Twitter account. She'll do it directly. You don't have to go to the app to do it. Um, she'll show you theater times for your area. She will make dinner reservations for you, take you to an, the open table app to make reservations. Um, you can ask Siri questions about the, the temperature or the weather or sports scores or stock market updates. Uh, it, it, it also series, I think one of Siri's great, great integrations is with Wolfram Alpha which has a ton of great information. So you can ask lots of questions and it will draw from Wolfram Alpha to, to, to provide those kind of spot on uh, results. I, I viewed Siri though, uh, and, and before I switched over to an Android phone, I, I viewed it as having a couple of, of ma major weaknesses. One, and not unlike Google, it, it relies on an online connection. Uh, you know, sometimes my connection wasn't that great and getting Siri to respond was hit and miss. I, I think that's improved somewhat. You know, I've tried it on my iPad. Siri tends to work great on my iPad. It, it, it tends to recognize it. It gets responses back pretty quickly. Um, so, so that's done well. But I will say that, that and this is going to apply to both of them uh, to a certain extent, is that talking to a phone all the time and asking it to do things for me just does not feel natural. Uh, I think it just feels weird to talk into a phone and ask it a question or ask it to do something. And I feel a little bit self-conscious. And I think that there are, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm somewhere on a, on a train somewhere and uh, uh, I want to talk to somebody or send a text message, it feels weird to, to talk that into the phone rather than to, uh, to, to, to do it myself. And so I, uh, um, I, I, that's that's part probably the reason why I stopped using Siri. Have you ever on your iPhone? I don't know if you have access to it, but have you used Siri at all on either your iPhone or iPad? I used it on my iPad iPad Mini just to to try it, but I, I think you're right. It's sort of but in my iPad Mini, I need a Wi-Fi connection, so I have to think about doing it, and then you know it's sort of more elaborate process. So I experimented a little bit early on just, just to try it. But then I said, this probably is, is going to make more sense with the phone. And, and, you know, I think what, uh, what you were talking about, I, the idea that it's the connection to Wolfram alpha, uh, is that seems really cool to me. And, and I know we've talked about Wolfram alpha before on the podcast, but just a really cool, uh, tool that's like part, calculator part encyclopedia part you know just a great information tool that um i always recommend to people and and i was thinking also that self-conscious thing because when you're saying that it reminds me in, in back when i was in in law school and coming out of law school that dictation was sort of the big thing back then and so as a you know as a young lawyer or as a law clerk you're given the dictaphone and 
you know, told you could dictate memos. And I sort of remember like the first time I did it, I found an empty office and closed the door and was totally self-conscious about, you know, dictation. And over time, I would be in a room full of people and, and dictating, you know, well, not a room full of people, but say there were there were two or three other people in the room, other clerks in the room. And I was just dictating a, a memo like it was no no big thing. So I, I think that there's probably that learning sense in, in voice that we're just not really used to it. And, and, but for all of the commercials, all I've seen about Siri, I mean, Tom, I don't know that I've ever really seen anybody where I would go like, Oh, they're using Siri and they're talking to their phone and asking it a, a question. I don't, I don't know that I've really seen that sort of out in the, out in the wild. I mean, what's, what's your experience of that? And then maybe you can jump to Google now and compare it. Well, I think that I think you're exactly right. I think that um, I don't see people using it on a frequent basis. Uh, I don't. I certainly don't see people talking to it in public. And and when you talk about about dictation, and I will say Siri has really, I think, actually very good dictation quality. Although again, it relies on that internet connection. So as long as you uh, uh, as long as you are able to, uh, to 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 dictate with an internet connection, you should be fine. I've, I've I think I've read somewhere that Apple is going to introduce an offline dictation tool for Siri, uh, but that's not coming. It may, I mean, that may hopefully be coming with, with the 5S or with iOS 7, but not sure about that. Um, but no, I think you're right, is that I think that there is a, I, I think it's one thing to dictate into a machine in an office with other people who expect you to be dictating. It's another thing to pull out your phone. Um, on the middle, uh, you know, in the middle of a meeting or on a subway street, uh, I mean, a subway or in the, or on the street somewhere and just start talking to your phone. Uh, I see most people still plugging information in using the good old manual way and doing that, doing it that way rather than uh, having the, the phone do it for them. I will say, though, that uh, I, I now that I'm using an Android phone, I think that I appreciate um, Google Now's offering in this area a lot more than Siri. And, and the reason is, is that it doesn't rely so much upon me talking to it to get information. With Siri, you pretty much have to talk to it to, to get that information. You can't get it from Siri any other way other than to ask for it. Um, Google Now, on the other hand, I think uh, relies on a couple of different options. It, it, you can talk to it if you want to, but what really sets it apart is that it's completely tapping into your Google ecosystem. To the extent that you use Google, uh, it will get that information and make it available to you in incredibly useful ways. So it, it it's, reads my Gmail. Um, it uh, takes keeps track of my Google searches, which is, I think, at the same time, completely awesome and slightly creepy. Although it is all of my stuff, it's just repeating it back to me. Um, so, you know, if I ask it, uh, if my flight is on time, I just did it this morning. I tested it out. It said, is my flight is on time? It will know from my email that I am flying to Denver tomorrow, and it will show the time for that flight. If I ask Siri that question, it will offer to search the web for that phrase, is my flight on time? Uh, if I order something on Amazon and I get an email that it's shipping, Google will send me a little card on Google Now on my phone so that I can track it and I can follow that, that and say that your, your package from Amazon is coming uh, and here's how to track it. Uh, you, can, you can use it like Siri and talk straight into it. But, uh, you know, I think it has a very interesting search feature that's part of it. It doesn't use Wolfram Alpha. It uses Google, which in some ways is very powerful, just as powerful, if not more powerful than Wolfram Alpha. It just doesn't quite have the same analytical tools. But what it does do 
uh, I give you an example is if you ask the question, who was the 37th president of the United States, for example, uh, you'll get a link to information on Richard Nixon. But if you go further and say, where did he go to school? That's your next question. You don't have to say, where did Richard Nixon go to school? You just say, where did he go to school? And Google now will know that you're talking about Richard Nixon. It will immediately show you that information. Siri won't do that. Siri can't do that. You can ask who the 37th president was, and it will show you from Wolfram Alpha who that was, but it won't go that, if you ask who, where did he go to school, it'll do a web search on that phrase for you, and it, it, it doesn't have that. So it, Google now has, I think, slightly advanced technology when, it's, when you're doing those kinds of searches. But let me get to, I mean, I've been rambling on here for a second. Let me get to where I think is the real power of Google now and where it beats Siri. It, it, you know, uh, w- remember when I said I don't like to talk into my phone? With Google Now, I don't have to do that. I can if I want to. I can press on the Google Now microphone and I can talk into it. And I think its voice recognition is slightly better than Siri's. Um, but now I just go to my Google Now page on my Android phone and there's all the things that Google has gathered for me. So this morning, I was when I was preparing for this podcast, uh, looking on my Google Now page, I have one, a reminder of one of my Google Plus friends who has a birthday today. Um, the score of last night's Texas Rangers game, I can go and look at that if I want to. Uh, it'll show me the weather in Dallas. It'll show me the weather in Denver. It's uh, I got a list of nearby events for tonight. Uh, it has directions to a clothing store that I was looking up earlier today online and will show me how to get there if I want to. It anticipates the information that I want to have uh, if I don't really want it. And it's always coming up with stuff that I don't really want. That's the one drawback is all I really have to do is flick that card off the screen and it's gone. Um, it's truly an amazing thing because it really tries to predict what you're going to want and what you're going to need. And I would say more often than not, it's accurate. It's correct in that regard. But uh, I will say it's very, uh, it's very interesting and very intriguing. And I think much closer to the idea of a virtual assistant. I, I'll shut up for a while now and say, Dennis, what do you, what do you think about that? And, and where are we headed with this? Well, I have one yes/no question for you. It, Google Now is is only for the Android platform, right? No, it's for you can also get it in some format on the iOS platform. It's not as it's it's not as uh, as capable as it is on the Android platform. I remember that I was using it to a certain extent. It's it's within the Google app um, for both iPhone and iPad, so you can use Google Now within the Google app. It's just not quite as powerful it's 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 good but it's not it's not as tied in i think the difference is that uh on your android phone the the google now app is tied into your notifications so that i don't only see it in my app i see it as part of the notifications that i get so um it it i think it's it's got more integration with the phone but you can get it in ios and you can actually use the google now features um from your desktop you can talk to google from your desktop and ask the same questions, you know, who's the 37th president of the United States? Uh, that's all available from a, a Windows or Mac machine as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because we're sort of in mid-August 2013 as we talk about this, and we're getting close to what people believe is a major Apple announcement, which will be this iPhone 5S and some other things. And the hype is certainly starting where, you know, Probably in another week or two, will be people will be expecting the the personal Mars spaceship that Apple will be releasing. Um, so, but we're sort of early in the hype thing. But I I have seen some talk that there is expectation that there will be improvements um, to Siri. So that will, that will be that will be interesting to see, and that will be part of of mm-hmm. the announcement cycle. 
Uh, I sort of go back to, I mean, so I have two thoughts. So, so one is I go back to the thing where you're saying, wow, here's like another place where people, uh, you know, like Google or, uh, and, and others who do this are jumping in and saying, hey, based on what you've done, here are all these cool things that we think you're thinking about. And you look at it and you go like, well, it, it, um, that doesn't even seem like me, what you're suggesting. This is not really helpful. You've kind of gotten in the way of what I was thinking about or this was interesting. This would have been relevant like a day or two ago, but but now I'm I've moved on to something else. So I'm always like, you know, I, I think we're in the early, obviously early in the the evolutionary stage on that stuff. So I'm, but I, you know, lately I'm a little bit more. Uh, I don't know what the right word. I mean, I'm certainly more hesitant about those things that are suggesting what they think I th- think that uh, that uh, I want. And then the other thing is, I mean, as as you know, Tom, with me, this is coming up. It's like, what's what's the job to be done that the that uh, you know these virtual digital personal assistants do? You know, so what are what are we hiring Siri to do? What are we hiring Google now to do? I can sort of. It's another thing where I say, you know, if I'm traveling, um, you know, because your your flight example is a good one. I'd say, well, if I'm traveling or certain things, I sort of see where this could become really interesting to me but if i'm mm-hmm. sort of in my office and at home and you know most of the time i have a computer in front of me then am i really going to pick up a device and say you know where's where's the what times are this movie going to be shown or when is this new uh new album coming out or you know that sort of thing because I'll, I'll just type it in and, and look it up on the computer so I, I think that it could be one of those things where you think about it you know could it be that as a, a lawyer, it, you know, I, we go back to that old sort of uh, dividing line with lawyers. So do the litigators, the people who go to court, does this start to become a really interesting tool for them? And and for lawyers who spend most of their time in the office, um, is it less interesting? I mean, do you have, does that, does that start to make sense in this world as well? Or what, do you have any reaction to that at this point? I, I don't. I don't know. I think I do think that it, it probably has more utility for lawyers who are traveling or who are mobile if they're out of the office because um, it it gives you access to that information that you ordinarily would have to search for otherwise. And if you're just sitting at your desk or if you're at home somewhere, you've got access to your computer and you can find that very easily. Although what I find is and what I think is is I think incredibly useful about Google now that I I think it's it's learning is that I can search for something on my computer uh, at home and it will provide that information to me in Google now, assuming that once I leave, I'm going to need to use it. Like like I said, I did a search to to see where that particular clothing store was. Um, it assumed that I wanted to go there and it gave me a Google Now card so that I could navigate to it automatically. Uh, I thought I think that's a great a great example of why it's probably best for people who are mobile. Now, I will say that you raise a point that we don't want to get too much information that we don't need because it it's not useful. Where Google now I think really excels in that is that it presents information to you in the form of cards, and the cards are easily flicked away. So it, it, well, I've been doing a lot of traveling, and in every place where I travel, I will open up Google now and will tell me. Uh, where sites are nearby or concerts that I might want to go nearby and I flick those away and only have what's useful to me. So I, I think that that even though there may be a little bit more noise than I would want, it's easily 
dismissed and really makes it useful. I, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't. I, I think that um, that where we're headed right now, as far as the technology is concerned, uh, it's it's come a long way since since Siri came up, and I, I think that the Google Now technology is really uh, has really extended the idea much much farther. But I think that if lawyers really want to use this, um, it has to be something that uh, that is is prepared for that you understand the capabilities and limitations of these tools. I could see somebody sitting there talking to Siri for 20 minutes trying to get it to do something, realizing not realizing that it, it doesn't have the capability to do these things. So if you want to work with Siri or Google now, then experiment it. Go out on the internet, find find out what it will and what it won't do. And then you can be more efficient using it for what it will do and 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 you don't won't be disappointed to know when it can't do something and and frankly that stuff changes all the time. I it, it I hope it's not too overwhelming, but they're adding new features. And and I think that if lawyers want to do it, make sure you understand the limitations of those tools before you actually uh, start using them. Any any closing thoughts, I guess, for you, Dennis, on how you plan to go forward with this or how others should? Well, I I'm probably experiment. I, I'm really intrigued though of of if you kind of focus on certain areas i mean i i think the idea of of how it could tie to your calendar is pretty interesting you know the other day i was at the dentist's office and trying to uh, and and also trying to schedule another appointment and the idea that i could just say you know to my phone hey would you know january 21st 2014 work for a dentist appointment and and then you know find the that there was time open, that would be great. And, and I could see things like that where you're saying, oh, I, I, I met someone, want to schedule lunch or something like that. I can find those times really easy, you know, just as, in, as part of the conversation without, you know, typing something in. So that's sort of, I, I think there's potential ways where you say, oh, once this starts to work for me, now I can build from that. But there is this part of me that says, you know what I really like from that, that digital personal assistant is that I could say, Hey, remember that really great article I saw the other day that I can't remember what it was? Could you find that for me? Or, you know, what was that TV show somebody recommended to me? Or who was that person I met the other day? Or, or <laughs> you, know, you know, those those kinds of things. Or what was said in that meeting that, you know, I've now forgotten. I think those things it would be helpful. But I, I suspect that, you know, that's, that stuff is kind of a way off. Although, you know, maybe you can tinker with these things and, and come up with some then along those lines but the idea i think you know scheduling some of that stuff i sort of see how that could work and then if you could find you know if you could combine it with sort of the lightweight dictation or you know maybe attending to social media and stuff it i i, I think you can kind of it sort of feels like if you experiment build slowly there you might find some some really good potential with these things i think oh, i i guess i will just say that i i think that a lot of the things you talk about there I would love to know, you know, what I said when and who told me that and what movie it is. And uh, I guess that we just have to, at least for now, rely on the NSA to tell us all of the information to that. But uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I think that's that raises the question, which comes up later, is how, how much are we willing to allow Apple or Google to intrude into our lives to be truly useful like that? Uh, because it 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 creeps a lot of people out that uh, that Google's scanning your email and they've been scanning it for a long time, not just for Google now. I mean, they're using it to be able to feed ads to you and to to make it useful in other ways. Um, and uh, and I think that this is an yet another test of that limit 
to see how people feel about all of that, then uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how far it goes in the future. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now, let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We want to take a closer look at a a current news story that has a lot of history in the legal profession. BlackBerry, formerly RIM, our research in motion, uh, indicated they were looking for a buyer. Sort of feels like the end of an era. I mean, Blackberries have long been a key tool for lawyers, but in the last few years, I I feel like I keep seeing BlackBerry and the word death spiral in the same article (laughs) or even in the same sentence. And... It seems like things have maybe kind of reached the, the crisis point uh, with BlackBerry. Um, Tom, have we, do you see that we're reaching the end of an era? And what does all the turmoil around BlackBerry mean for all these uh, BlackBerry-toting lawyers? Well, you know, I, I was actually really surprised to hear the announcement this week that BlackBerry was looking for a buyer. I, I, I know that the news from them has not been that great the past couple of years. I thought it was still sort of chugging along. I thought that it still had a pretty devoted following. And it kind of surprised me a little bit to see this news, but but then I've been I've been sort of processing and looking at the statistics from the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center, their 2013 Legal Technology Survey, and uh, comparing it with some of the results from uh, from I think two years ago. Two years ago, the BlackBerry accounted for about 45 percent of the smartphone market among U.S. lawyers. So uh, iPhone was had been making headway for I guess two years at that point and had about 30 some percent. And Android phones had about 20%, and BlackBerry was still on top with 45%. That share in the 2013 survey has dropped to an amazing 16%, according to the survey. And, you know, with numbers like that, I guess I'm not surprised that the company is searching for a buyer. I, I understand in talking to others that the share for lawyers, maybe more in Canada, but the, the LTRC survey primarily surveys American lawyers. So that's really the, the statistic that we're looking at. But, you know, I guess I guess when I look at this, I I sort of think that BlackBerry may be maybe evolving into the smartphone equivalent of WordPerfect for lawyers, you know, a small but dedicated group that still use them and still love them. I, I used to say that BlackBerry was best better than any other smartphone because it handled email better than the other smartphones. But uh, but with the rise of of good mobile, deva- uh, you know, d- really good solutions for mobile device management. Um, companies, I think, are finding it just as easy to manage email on iPhones and Android phones, and, and it's not necessarily any harder than it would be with a BlackBerry. So I don't think that's the issue. Uh, nowadays, what I hear is that people are, are hesitant to go away from their keyboard, uh, that a virtual keyboard just doesn't work as well 
uh, as the physical keys, which I think is probably true, although it was not a problem for me moving from my Trio to an iPhone. Uh, I'm not sure how long a company can live on just having a keyboard, Dennis. Well, I think there's I, and there's a lot of complexity in what's happening here, and a lot of it is on the back end and pricing, and um, you know, uh, the refresh cycles on on uh, on these devices on smartphones, and you know, all all of those sorts of things, which which play into it. Um, and it's certainly, you know, at least anecdotally, you were hearing a lot in the, over the last year or so of of uh, the what I'll call the larger firms, the sort of bigger buyers of of these things, looking into the alternative of going with the mainly Apple, but you hear a lot more about Android as an option. Uh, I think in the last six months or so, or at least in in my case. Right. And you're right. There is that um, that Canadian element. I every time, you know, like. I always think of our friend Dan Pennington, like whenever BlackBerry comes out with new product, he's, he's like showing it off and so excited about it. Very excited. And, yeah. and then you say, I just don't know that you're going to see the adoption. And it looks like, a, it looks like a, you know, sometimes you go like, this looks really good. This, the screen looks really good. This looks good. But I just don't know that people are going to change. And, and I always think in smartphones, it really is that sort of... Uh, you know, the upgrade cycle, which you'll go back to the first segment, you know, that I'm, you know, here I am, I've gone past two years and I'm holding off so I can get the, the, the phone I want. We were talking about that two-year cycle and the cost of, of shifting. And then BlackBerry, I think, has now found itself in that, that awkward place in technology where the, you know, you often get the advice, don't buy the third place option, even if it might be technically the best or otherwise. That, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, so many people are going to the first two, that's where you're going to find, you're going to get better support, better information, you know, uh, people are developing to that, you know, in the app world, um, you know, it's just not the same world in, in BlackBerry as it is in, in the Apple or Android environment. So um, a lot of it, you know, it's not surprising. And then the study of it is interesting. I think they tried to to CEO approach for a while. So it just from a business perspective, some of the things they've done are, are, uh, you know, are, are worth studying as to whether, you know, how well they work historically when you take that type of approach. And then I just don't, I just don't think that the sale, you know, with the, the newest thing that came out, they just didn't get the sales pickup that they needed to get to, uh, you know, for it to go forward. So it, it does look like, you know, a very tough time at at uh, BlackBerry. Well, and and you know, I I think that the reviews on the new products that came out just weren't as good as I think they hoped they would be. That the products just aren't showing what the critics are expecting these days, which I think is is another issue that BlackBerry has, which is it's really I think failing to innovate at the level that will allow them to continue to compete with Apple and Google. I'm, I'm a little bit worried that Apple's falling into that same issue. That's one of the reasons why I moved to an Android phone rather than the iPhone, just because I was kind of getting boring to me. It wasn't really, they weren't really evolving or changing it. I think they're doing a little bit, but, uh, but not enough to, to satisfy me. I, I, my, the, my clearest story, I think my best story about BlackBerry was, was, I forget how long it was, two or three years ago when BlackBerry issued its uh, or introduced its uh, BlackBerry Playbook, the tablet version. And we were at Tech Show and uh, the the person giving the demo was showing a video, was showing how fast it worked to move between all the apps. And there was a lawyer there who said, yes, 
uh, but but can you show me how it can help me do my legal work? And the person doing the demo, his response back to her was, take a look at this amazing game. And I think that that's I think that says it all, frankly, about about why why BlackBerry may be in the situation it is and why it certainly is not that situation for lawyers. You know, I got to tell my favorite BlackBerry story, too. So early on, one of the early tech shows I was involved in and when Blackberries first came out, they made them available to a number of tech show speakers. And I was fortunate enough to be on that list. And, um, you know, we mentioned Ross Codner earlier, but Ross was as, as well. And so I remember trying it and the reception is really horrible at my house. And I used to have, in order for the email to come in, I would hold the thing up to a window or sometimes go out underneath one certain tree in my yard because that's where the reception's <laughs> best. And it's like I was trying to coax the email onto the device. And, and, uh, but it was cool. It was so cool then because you could actually do it, you know, with, with a mobile device. And no, that was, that could easily have been 10 years or more ago. And then we went to tech show and, and so you're trying this stuff. And, uh, and the funny thing was that the speakers learned that, you could send the emails to your friends who were speaking while they were speaking and, and you could interrupt them or get the, or when they weren't speaking on the panel, you get, get them to laugh. And so um, that sort of, you know, we kind of, we were precursors of what you can do with social media and texting now. So it's, uh, uh, that was great. Um, so uh, now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, I think that uh, that that our parting shots today are going to sort of continue along the the Google line for both of us. Um, I'm going to talk about an extension called OneFeed for those of you who use the Google Chrome browser. And if you're not using the Chrome browser, why aren't you using the Chrome browser? I still think it's the 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 fastest, most advanced browser that's out there right now. I just think it's the best one, easiest to use. Um, and and there are many extensions that can make it more powerful. And one of the things that I notice about uh, Chrome browsers, when you open up a new tab, it's pretty boring. You can look at, uh, you know, the t 10 sites that you visit the most frequently, or you can look at all of the different apps that you've installed. Not, nothing terribly interesting. If you install the one feed extension, you still have access to this, but you can actually open up a new tab and see um, news headlines uh, that it pulls from the internet. You can connect it to your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram account, and you can see new things that have come into those accounts, new updates. So you've got a little bit there to uh, to make it more interesting to have that information before you you wind up going to another website uh, on that particular tab. I, I think it's just a more interesting use of the tabs that you have within Google Chrome. It's called OneFeed. You can just search for, for it through um, through the extensions menu in your Chrome browser. Dennis, yeah, I've uh, I do have the Google Gmail uh, parting shot today, and and I. I think I, you know, as I mentioned before, it's sort of like we we give companies like Google access to a lot of information, and the trade-off we hope is that they they target things better to us, so we it's easier to find things that things are more helpful to us. So with Gmail, all of a sudden they rolled out this new tabbed interface, and um, and so my parting shot and is is a blog post from Melanie Panola. And I think this real, the title just spells out the feeling I had about this. And, and, and so it's called Everything You Need to Know About Gmail's New Super Confusing Layout. And it's on Lifehacker, and, and we'll have make the URL available to you. Um, but they have this sort of tab thing where you have your primary email in one place and, and then a 
another options. There's a social uh, media related one. There's one that they call, I think it's called promotions. It sort of has newsletters and other things like that. And then I just found out this morning there were actually two other, by reading this, this blog post, that there were two other tabs that I didn't have activated. And so it divides things up, but it's, it gives you that feeling that like a bunch of engineers thought this would be a great idea and, and rolled it out. <laughs> because you can have things in these other tabs and your inbox shows that there, it shows that there's nothing there. And so it's, it's confusing. And uh, in some ways, it's, it's helpful, and, it, and you can move things from tab to tab. Um, so it's another part of my parting shot. There's a, as always, uh, I like going to the Ask Dave Taylor uh, uh, blog, and he has, a, he has a great little piece on moving your incoming Gmail messages into the correct tab. And it's pretty straightforward to do kind of a drag and drop thing. And so I think you can kind of build this to make it more useful, but it's a pretty major interface change in something that you use every day like like gmail and um it's it's not as easy to use as you would hope and i think tom you you even uh, turn the tabs off right well I, yeah i don't want to rain on your parting shot but my my tip back to that would be don't use the tabs in gmail just because i did i used it for exactly 10 minutes and it was confusing and not helpful and not useful I think it's cool. I like the idea behind it. I was I was interested in trying it. And so there may be those of you out there who look at it and find that, that it is useful for how you plan to, to use your Gmail. And if that's the case, definitely look at these articles. I saw them when they came out. I think they're very helpful. So take a look at them, but uh, not for me at all. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today will be available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. If you, get to, uh, you can get to the archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating or reviewing the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>